0: you are listening to the 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. We study God's Word, and then we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that God's given us. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. I invite you to check us out at soh.church. While you're there, download our free mobile app. We've got a digital Bible got all of our teachings and online community that you can interact with every day, so it's a great resource in your pocket. If you're listening anywhere where you get your podcasts, like, share, subscribe, turn on your notifications, we want you to get more in the Word of God, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, and with faith all things are possible. I hope you are having an awesome day, and I'm glad that you're joining us today as we continue our study, we're actually kicking off Matthew chapter 23 now. We're getting there. We're in Jesus' last week of his earthly ministry, and we've really seen things start to ratchet up ever since he enters Jerusalem. And this is back in Matthew chapter 21, right? The triumphal entry, what we know in Christendom uh, tradition as Palm Sunday. I mean, it's, look, He's been getting flack from the religious leaders. He's been facing opposition, but obviously we know things really escalate in this last week, and it starts with him coming in, uh, being praised by the people, being called a king and a savior, and then ultimately what does he do? He flips the tables outside of the temple, and that's where the gloves really start to come off. Right? He, Jesus curses the fig tree, and the fig tree really signifies the heart of the leadership in Israel, right? Remember, all leaves. No fruit, we'll get into that a little bit more today, Um, but ultimately we see Jesus' authority challenged, and what we've studied over the good part of the last two weeks is the interactions between Jesus, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, all of the ruling class there, even though they normally hate each other, come together and come against Jesus, really trying to challenge him, okay? So that's where we end in Matthew 22. And also Jesus, of course, teaching what the greatest commandment is, right? The two greatest commandments, love God, love people. So now the gloves really come off. If you didn't think that, you know, they were going at it, and not that Jesus is bringing himself down to a lower place, but understand what Jesus is trying to establish, he needs to remove the opposition, And he's not doing it by force. He's not doing it by fists. He's doing it through love. He's doing it through truth. And how many of you know that sometimes speaking in a loving manner doesn't always mean telling people what they want to hear? So now in Matthew chapter 23, before all of the Passover crowd, now I want you to get the visual here. These next few weeks are going to be critical, I believe, to your understanding of Scripture okay? This is the Passover week. The largest crowds of the year are in Jerusalem right now. So Jesus has a giant audience of people that have God on their mind and are witnessing what is going on here. And what I just went through in the way of the timeline is so, so important. We have to look at the progression of what happens this week so that we can properly understand what Jesus is trying to tell them. Because if we can understand what Jesus is trying to tell them, then we can pull the revelation out for us. Remember, the proper way to study Scripture is to understand first the audience relevance. And that, I I tell you from the bottom of my heart, is a passion of mine, is to help the body of Christ understand Scripture in the proper context, understand how the original audience took it, how the original authors meant for it to be. And I say this not because it's not relevant for today. It's very relevant for today. But we have to read it through that proper lens because if we don't, what happens is we cherry-pick Scriptures to fit whatever we want to fit. Or even more so, especially as we get into Matthew 24, we cherry-pick scriptures to try to apply it to events today, and that's a misplaced application of scripture, for sure. Because you can't watch what we have just watched and developed, and if you're listening for the first time today, I encourage you to go back and to listen through, because you're going to see the escalation happen. From everything that I just went through, I won't go through it again, but we can't see Jesus is establishing kingdom principles, is rebuking the Pharisees, is in this case warning the crowd specifically about specific people, and then get to the next chapter, Matthew 24, and somehow apply that 2,000 years later in terms of what the events that Jesus is talking about okay? We'll get into that more, but what I want to approach today is Jesus' warning of the crowds about the Pharisees, and we've seen this developing before. Matthew chapter 15, uh, if you remember, Jesus starts to denounce the Pharisees directly, okay, to their face, maybe even a little bit before that. Then in Matthew chapter 16, for sure, he what? He tells his disciples to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, right? The leaven of the Pharisees. And what did yeast represent in the Jewish culture culture? It represented corruption. And this all comes down to that these men that were ruling and leading, that were supposed to be the representatives of God here, were being bad examples. Now we can look at this today and say, you know what? A lot of times, spiritual leadership or just leadership in general on this earth it has a tendency to be bad examples. We have seen it in the headlines recently. Uh, there are people that are being followed and what happens is they fall and then everybody gets in a frenzy. You get some people saying, Oh, I knew that was going to happen or, Oh, I never liked this person or some people just flat out leaving the church. Why? Because we have a tendency to put, a lot more stock in human beings than it belongs, right? It is a tragedy, and that's why it is a big responsibility of those who are in leadership, especially in ministry, especially those who represent God, to conduct themselves in a manner that would be worthy because it is the honestly flawed human condition that will elevate men and women of God to a place higher than they should be in terms of their own personal praise. And there is a lot of spiritual leadership in the church that does things in a very similar fashion to the Pharisees, what? For their own benefit, for their own praise, for their own elevation, not the elevation of God. And that's something that we, in this generation, really have to look at and try to change within the church. But let's get into our study today. Jesus is warning the crowds about the Pharisees, Matthew chapter twenty-three, starting with verse one, and we will go through verse twelve. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, "The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in the Moses Moses's seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not what they do, for they do not practice what they preach." Verse four. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So Jesus acknowledges here the position, the God-ordained position of the priest and the spiritual leadership, but he rebukes their performance in it. And why? Because what they would do they would do for themselves and we'll get to that here in a second but understand leadership is necessary we i talk with christians all the time and say well why do i have to go to church you know uh, i i can it's just me and god i totally get that that's fine but god does things in a corporate setting that he often do, doesn't do with us individually why because all when all of our giftings come together then we are stronger. We don't need to isolate ourselves. Yes, we all have Jesus in our life as our personal savior. Yes, we all have the Holy Spirit as Christians inside of us. But there is something powerful about corporate worship. So if this is not something that you take part in often, I do recommend that you get around people. But a lot of you, a lot of people have been hurt by the church. Why? Because the leadership is poor. And that needs to change. And the Pharisees are a good example of this. And in the synagogue, just to tell you about Moses' seat, they would have this stone seat that the authoritative preacher would sit on. It was called the Moses' seat. So Jesus acknowledges that, look, there needs to be somebody sitting in that seat. Do as the Scriptures say, but don't do as these Pharisees are doing. And here's why. Let's go to verse 5. Everything they do is done for people to see. Their, and I'm going to pronounce this word, phylacteries wide and the tassels of their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. We see this. War right? Jesus started calling them hypocrites. Why? Because they would stand on the street corners and they would pray for all to see. The phylacteries. What are those? They they were little boxes that would be tied. And this is out of Deuteronomy and Numbers. It instructs those to tie the scrolls on. I believe it was on their shoulders and their their hands. Had it here somewhere, but something like that. So what these spiritual leaders would do is they would make sure that those were really big. Or the borders of their garments were really big. Why? Because they equated the, <laughs> they equated the size of these things to uh, a, an image of holiness. I want you to remember back with the fig tree. Why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Because it had the leaves, but it didn't have the fruit. It looked the part, but it didn't produce what God intended. It had the appearance without the production. And that was the state of the temple. That was the state of the Pharisees and the religious leadership of that time. And we see some of that even in our modern day, right? Not because, I mean, that's, that's where the broken human condition goes, right? Love of money, pride, doing things for just the, the own personal exaltation exulta- and not for God. So let's keep going here. It says, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. You are all brothers. You do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. Now, this isn't Jesus rebuking every concept of every title. Understand what a title is. A title in the early church, especially if you study out the fivefold ministry that you know the Apostle Paul lays out in in Ephesians four, uh, as the the way the church was intended, titles are meant to be associated with giftings, okay? And giftings are not associated with personal prestige. Giftings are specifically for the servitude of others. So if I call myself evangelist evangelist is from the greek word which means messenger of good news my job as an evangelist is to share the good news with you to help change your life it's not to get a special parking spot at church it's not to wear a special pin on my lapel it's not for me to put a uh you know a, a diploma on my wall titles are not meant for personal honor. They're to signify giftings within the church. And Paul himself called himself a teacher. Paul himself called himself a father. Paul called people his children. So it's not about that. It's really about the heart. It's about the heart. And what Jesus is pointing out to to the crowds is... Do what they say, not what they do. You know, as parents, we think that's a rite of passage, right? To say, do as I say, not as I do. How many of you, I don't know if you've heard that growing up from your parents. I want to say this, that that is not the ideal scenario. Jesus is not saying that it's the standard for leadership to be in a hypocritical state where, yeah, they're teaching the right things, but they're not doing the right things. This whole part where Jesus is laying out, hey, listen, where is it? You are, and you are all brothers, right? Don't, rabbi, teacher, you're all brothers. You're all brothers. We are all brothers and sisters. None of us is more important than the next. And that's a fact. And that's not what they were living out there. So Jesus is being very critical of what? Very critical of the Pharisees and the teachers. And it's interesting, about a couple hundred years later in the Talmud, the Talmud is, um, it it means documents. It's it's a uh, a collection of rabbinical documents. And in the Talmud, it's actually critical of the Pharisees as well. It says that there are basically seven types of Pharisees and six are not good. And I thought this was interesting for this study in particular, right? Because this was how the Jewish teachings were carried on even beyond – 70 you know 70 ad when the temple was destroyed said there's seven types of pharisees and and we could kind of see that uh, we we can definitely see that in the pharisees here but we can also see that you know some of these traits maybe in in us maybe in some of our leadership maybe in some of the things that we want to change so there's the shoulder pharisee that was the one who wore all their good deeds on their shoulder right for all to see and really this goes to motive are you doing good things so others pat you on the back, or are you doing things for the right reasons? We'll get to the right reasons with the last Pharisee here. What about the wait a little Pharisee? The one that always intends to be good, but always makes excuses on why they can't. That one hurts a little bit too, right? Man, I, would, I will serve God in this capacity when this happens. You know, how can, how can you serve him today in that capacity? If the widow who brought the mite as an offering was the greatest offering in the room, you can't lack enough to not bring something to the table for God. And you know what happens when you bring something to the table for God, even out of, even out of what you deem as lack? You start to partake of his abundance because our God is a multiplier. What about the bleeding Pharisee? This is the one that's so holy, and this is the way it's worded in the Talmud, that's so holy that they, they would turn their head, even from the view of women, and again, and they would bump into things, bruise, and hurt themselves, right? So you're so holy that you're not good, to, you, that you, you hide to the point where you don't serve other people, right? They would run from the lepers because they would think that they were unclean. Meanwhile, Jesus ran too. As a minister of God, your purpose is is to do really one thing, is to bless other people, let God bless other people through you. And by the way, being a minister of God does not mean that you have some title somewhere. If you need an ordination to minister the gospel, if you want to be an ordained minister of the gospel, just hold your hand up right now, and I will say, in the name of Jesus, I ordain you to preach the gospel. By the way, Jesus already ordained you 2000 years ago with the great commission. Okay? You don't need somebody else to tell you that you can minister God's love. Amen. We have to get out of that mindset. All right, I'm going to keep this going so we can wrap this up here. What about the hump <laughs> the humpbacked pharisee? This is one who always walked around hunched over, so so humble, so humble that they that they walked around you know, looking hunched over, so humble that they are not effective with other people. God wants you to be c- uh, humble, yet confident. Again, none of this should make, deem you ineffective. Let's go. The always counting Pharisee, that's somebody who always keeps score. Well, look at all the good things that I did. I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And what we do when we do stuff like that, it's basically like saying, hey, God, you owe me because I did this. So, see the fault in that? Then there was the fearful Pharisee, the Talmud talks about. And that was one who acted out of fear of judgment. And while somebody, if you're acting out of fear of God for judgment, you can do good things, but your heart is still not necessarily in the right place because god that's not the way God operates. Again, God does not want us to give out of fear or, or compulsion. He wants us to give Out of the goodness of our heart, he wants us to be cheerful givers. And this leads us to Pharisee number seven in the Talmud. That's the God-fearing Pharisee. And when you say God-fearing, you understand that word fear is reverence. It's an awe. It's a God. You are so amazing. You're so much bigger than anything I could ever ever fathom. You're bigger than me. And that's somebody who does things out of love for God. And out of their deep love for God, they live for God. I hope that makes sense. And Jesus sums it all, sums the way up, and we'll close out with this. Sums his way up right now. He says, the greatest among you will be your servant. He told his disciples this. He told the the mother of James and John this. He's saying this in the presence of the Pharisees who didn't want to be anybody's servant. They wanted servants. And then this last thing I want you to take with you, verse 12. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The easiest way to be humbled is to try to paint yourself as honestly more important than God. God wants you to be confident. God wants you to be bold. But he wants you to do so in a way with humility. Really what what Jesus boils down to is doing everything in humility, understanding that without God, what could you really do? And through servitude. That because God, right? What does Scripture say? We love because He loved us first, right? And we draw we don't we don't draw our strength and our or even our identity from the lives from the lives of others and what they say about us. We draw our identity from who God says we are. So I hope this makes sense, and we're going to continue through Matthew twenty three. Uh, starting tomorrow and my prayer for you today is that you would also look at your own motives and intentions even your leadership wherever you are wherever you're being fed check the fruit there and again study to show thyself approved really look into God's principles First, for yourself to be able to change you, but second, so that God can train you and lift you up to what? Be a blessing to others. Because the greatest among us are the ones that are willing to serve, that are ones that are willing to recognize that we're born in this generation, not just to take up space, but to bless this world through his goodness. Amen. So I hope that charges you today to go out and look for opportunities to take the words of God and put them into action and to be his light. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for this study. We thank you that you are an awesome God, that you've given us the ability to serve you with our life, Lord God. For anybody that needs encouragement, Lord God, I just pray that you fill them with the peace that surpasses all understanding. If you're listening within the sound of my voice right now, God wants you to know that he loves you deeply and that he wants you to be effective in this world, to bear fruit, to be his disciple. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio, Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. Check us out at soh.church. This is the 1% Christian, 100 starts with 1. So go out and be a blessing. Amen. Love you guys.